As publishers try to diversify revenue streams, many have begun dipping their toes into commerce. The business is growing. Affiliate commerce is set to grow into a 6.8 billion business by 2020. With retailers eager to partner with publishers, join us at the Digiday Hot Topic event here in New York City on May 3rd. In one day, dive deep and learn with publishers who are growing their commerce arm. To learn more, visit digiday.com slash events. See you there. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sango, and this episode is a session from our Digiday AI Summit we recently held in Santa Barbara, California. Here, Digiday's Shireen Padak talks to Samir Desai from Equinox about how to use AI to motivate fitness club members. Listen in. Nobody understands what AI is, true or false? True. Okay, good. You're, you're with the majority here. <laughs> the majority. Um, I, we have a lot to talk about. Um, I'm very excited to talk about Equinox because I'm obsessed with everything you guys have been doing with Thank artificial you. intelligence. Um, but before that, I don't know how many people here know Equinox or know how big it is. Do you want to give us a quick 30 yeah, seconds? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so Equinox is a portfolio of brands. Uh, you know, our marquee brand is Equinox Fitness Clubs. We have about 93 locations across the country. We're also international. We have some locations in London, Toronto, Vancouver. Uh, so very premium fitness club offering. Uh, memberships on average about 225 to $250 a month. So we're not for everybody, um, but a very kind of specific customer. And then beyond Equinox, the other brands in the portfolio are a brand called SoulCycle. Some of you might have heard of SoulCycle. Explosive growth. We have about 90 SoulCycle locations now across the country. We're also in uh, Toronto and we're opening in London later this year. Um, and then we have a brand called Blink Fitness, uh, which is kind of the other end of the spectrum, more $15 to $20 a month type membership model, mass market brand. There's about 75 locations now. It's gonna, we're franchising starting this year, so plan to get to two, 300 locations over the next couple of years. Um, and then most excitingly, we're getting into the hospitality space, so we're going to open our first Equinox-branded hotel in the spring of next year in Manhattan, on the west side of Manhattan. There's a massive development project uh, called the Hudson Yards that's going on, and that's where the first hotel is going to open. Uh, we have five other hotels under construction across the country. It's a boutique brand, uh, four-and-a-half, five-star experience, and we'll get to probably about 75 hotels over uh, the next 10 years or so. So really, you know, kind of positioning us to be more of a lifestyle brand than just fitness. Um, and that's kind of the thinking there. Cool. Um, so you've been in Equinox for 12 years. Yeah, long right? time. Long time. Um, when, when did you start kind of first thinking about artificial intelligence and it could work for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, I feel like the, the naming has changed over the years, but, you know, we've been playing around with this technology for quite a while, and, you know, maybe three or four years ago, it was called around kind of predictive analytics, and we started thinking about how do we get smarter about things like, uh, we're a membership-based business, so an example for us is uh, attrition, right? So, at the end of the day, you know, the key driver for us is how do we uh, ensure members don't want to try it, and we retain them, so we started looking at uh, signals that lead to our members canceling their membership, like lack of engagement with the club, lack of engagement with our app and the brand and things like that. And then we took that cohort of people and cut them by lifetime value, as an example. So instead of you know, spending our marketing dollars uniformly across every single customer, we were smart and kind of disproportionately spent on those members that are higher, have a higher propensity to attrite and also our most you know, valuable members at the end of the day mm -hmm. and spend more kind of on that. So that's kind of how it started, so to say, and then there's a number of things that we've been doing since then. Um, I'd say most notably, 
last year, you know, you talked a little bit about chatbots and whether chatbots is AI or not. I think chatbots is AI, or at least some form of it. Um, and that's a big, that was a big launch that we did last year where you know, when you become an Equinox member, um, there's a lot of excitement. You, you, you sign up, you get your membership, and then you have access to this 50,000 square foot space that has you know, hundreds of classes on the class schedule, personal training, Pilates, but there's a lot of offering, and there's no real onboarding. So we really use the digital channel to solve that onboarding problem, and instead of having a form or wizard, we thought, let's make this a conversational experience. So when you download our app, you register for a login, the first thing that happens is you're faced with this uh, what we call kind of a virtual health coach, but really it's a chatbot that's taking you through like a five-minute conversation, asking you why you joined Equinox, what your fitness preferences are, and, uh, and based on a number of inputs, it recommends to you what classes, as an example, might be most relevant to you based on what other people are taking. Um, it asks you what times and days of the week you want to work out and helps you kind of get your calendar set up with that. Um, and uh, it helps you kind of get set up for your free assessment and personal training session, things of that nature. And, and then that kind of lives with you throughout the course of uh, your membership. So, you know, let's say you set a goal of checking in two or three times a week, and at the end of the week you only made it to the gym once, it'll wake up and kind of nudge you a little bit and say, hey, it looks like you didn't make it in as frequently as uh, you had planned to. You know, can we set you up for, you know, an additional kind of classes, or what could we do differently? Mm -hmm. Or if you came in, you know, the number of times you said or more, then it'll just congratulate you, give you kudos. So, and it's still kind of it's an infancy, but it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a, um, we call it kind of a coach that's helping you maximize your membership. So that's kind of the most recent manifestation of AI. I think the chatbot, you know, the chatbot space is interesting because I think there's so much of a design element to that. Um, tell me a little bit about your team that kind of worked on designing that chatbot. And what were some of the considerations into kind of tonality or what yeah, this yeah. person, that's this great. thing sounds like? So when we first approached it, we were, you know, there's a ton of third party software platforms out in the market that claim to be uh, and claim to do chatbots and be turnkey and within a few weeks you can get up and running. You know, we, att we attempted that approach first and we quickly learned that you know, to make our, we have a certain brand aesthetic, we have a certain voice and tone that we want to use and we went with the off-the-shelf off solutions, they just weren't allowing us to get to where we needed to get to. Mm -hmm. um, so we scrapped that, we ended up building internally using Microsoft's bot framework, which turns out to be, there's a lot of good tutorials and stuff like that online. So we took a couple of members from our uh, engineering team, and it didn't take a big team, it took two or three people, and really kind of you know, gave them the challenge and problem of figure out how to create this uh, experience using this mm -hmm. tool set. Um, and they were able to do that very quickly from a technical standpoint, and then we engaged our creative and marketing teams from a aesthetic and uh, look and feel and tone perspective. And tone is actually, you know, when I say tone, like voice is really important here because you know if we're not communicating with the kind of the brand tone, then it just is mm -hmm. off-putting. So um, you know, the other thing is also we are not, we weren't attempt, we we're smart about not attempting to make it sound or make it feel like, hey, there's a real human that you're chatting with, and we're very honest and upfront that this is a bot, and I think that was, that was an important decision. I feel like a lot of brands are struggling with that a little bit, and maybe you might start by trying to make it feel like, oh, you're actually chatting with a real person, and then you find out, wait, this isn't a real person, <laughs> right? And you just get frustrated. So, um, so I think we, so, so those are some of the things that. How did you it. test it? What was kind of the testing process? So we, um, so we were smart about not opening it up to every single member, and we said, let's pilot it with, new members that join uh, and only those people. So we had a kind of controlled group of X amount of members that join our club every month and only they were exposed to this. Mm -hmm. um, and also since it was the onboarding flow that we were testing, it was a natural fit where obviously people who are joining for the first time need to be onboarded, so we put them through that. 
Um, and uh, you know, it's been it, now it's open to kind of all of our members for the most part um, because it's proven to be successful. And some of the metrics we looked at and how we measured success was. Uh, engagement with our club. So, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of the key metric. Again, we're a subscription business, so the more you use our club, the more engaged you're going to be. Uh, and the, the, the nudging factor, you know, at the end of the week, the second week, the third week, we saw that people, almost 40% increase in engagement to the club for people who are kind of going through this flow where we were reaching out to them and, uh, and kind of nudging them a little bit that, hey, you only checked in once or twice last week and you wanted to come mm -hmm. to the club three times. We saw a shift in behavior in the following week and the subsequent week of that increasing because they're being pushed a little bit yeah. um, you know, versus other members who are not getting that experience. I think it's interesting because, I mean, because you are in a physical space and a, a lot of uh, people in the room kind of aren't. And there's certain kind of data points that you're able to collect. I mean, everything from how long somebody is inside a club yeah. using their mobile phone. What about kind of a signaling some of that to the members? I mean, I think that, you know, like I said, sort of privacy talk is in and suddenly people are wondering, who am I giving my data to? What's happening? Um, but making this feel like something, okay, this is worth me telling Equinox all of these things. I mean, was that a consideration in the early days, more of a consideration now? Yeah, and look, we want to be very transparent up front uh, with what we're collecting and how we're using that data. Um, and, you know, we're at a point where we're starting to uh, blur the lines between what's HIPAA and what's not. You know, when you join Equinox as a new member, you go through a personal health assessment. Mm -hmm. We're collecting anywhere from 60 to 75 data points around your health makeup and your fitness goals and things of that nature. And, uh, and it's all opt-in and you know, you're scheduling a session with a personal trainer, your personal trainer is collecting that information, but we're very transparent about how we're using that and it's all in service to creating a more customized, personalized program, uh, fitness program for that individual and, um, and we're as transparent as we can be about mm -hmm. that. Um, Do you use third-party data at all? Not a lot. I mean, we have, we have a ton of first-party data. We're okay. fortunate to have a lot of first-party data, sure. so um, there's almost no third-party data today. For uh, prospecting, is this marketing team? Because that's where it's mostly being, I mean, that's where third-party data plays kind of the biggest role, which is prospecting, right? Yeah, I think, I think a, a, a little bit, but we're, most of our uh, marketing is more digital paid marketing, and mm -hmm. we're getting a, we get a lot of inbound lead traffic, okay. and, and we're not a mass market business, so we have the, you know, we have the luxury of uh, not having to buy lists or you know, things of that nature and kind of cold mm -hmm. call or email. Um, and you know, the other part of our business is you know, ref our referral business. So 50% of our membership sales actually come from members who are referring other members. So that's a huge lead channel for us. And, mm -hmm. uh, so, you don't you know, and yeah, so we don't have to worry about third-party data as much. So uh, let's go back to, kind of to the app, because I think that's kind of the central place where your AI strategy really lives. Um, what about, what are all sort of the different points of that like customer behavior that you're connecting? Because I think there's an interesting place where this is the known behavior, but I think the holy grail is really then saying, what does this then mean for Shireen in the future? What yeah, does that kind yeah, of look yeah. like? So we're starting to look a lot about how members are uh, interacting with the app, what pages they're spending more time, where there's more dwell time, where there isn't. We're starting to introduce and test the concept of cards effectively. So in the app, before it was a static home screen, now with cards, we can start to kind of understand and measure what resonates uh, from a content perspective with a member. So each card has a specific finite amount of content that's tailored mm -hmm. to a specific thing. So if there are five cards in a feed and somebody engages with the top two, we know, hey, that was a Pilates card and that was a personal training card, the others were yoga, et cetera. And so they might have more of an affinity for Pilates and then we can do something off of that. So we're looking at just kind of behavior and usage patterns within our app and within our website and obviously within the physical spaces as well. Um, 
and kind of bringing all that data together to kind of draw conclusions and also do a lot of lookalike modeling and understand that, you know, when somebody's new, we have very limited amount of information about them. Mm -hmm. So how do we try to type them to somebody, to another cohort that looks like them mm -hmm. and say, you know, somebody else that looks like you really has an affinity for this type of class or this type of training program. And that, that's the way we're starting to recommend things as well. Um, what about kind of the, the physical space? I mean, is there, what about, what kind of data do you look at or usage patterns do you look at from a physical perspective? Yeah, so I mean, it, based on what technology is now, almost all the equipment in our clubs, treadmills, bikes, ellipticals, they're all connected. So everything's emitting data real time um, as it's being used. So we have a very good understanding and uh, you know, usage of how our equipment is, uh, is being interacted with. Um, we are testing uh, beacon technology in many of our clubs. So we have sensors effectively that we've outfitted a lot of our clubs with. And you know, as a member traverses the club with their phone, it's triangulating with those sensors and gives us a much deeper, more granular understanding of, hey, somebody's spending 25 minutes on the strength floor or is coming in and running on a treadmill for 45 minutes and leaves. Um, and that's all they're using our club for. So, you know, something nicer with the treadmill opens up closer to where they live, they're very likely to leave mm -hmm. and not pay, you know, obviously what our membership fees are. So how do we get right. them exposed to other aspects of our business and, uh, mm. and that kind of pattern tracking and kind of behavior tracking within the physical space yeah. helps us understand kind of who's doing what. What kind of surprised you in one of these, one of these things, things that you just never thought this, about? This example of the number of people that just, you know, use a treadmill or a piece of cardio, come in and don't engage with our classes, don't engage with our trainers, and, you know, they're, they want to get in, they want to get out, and they think they know what they need to do. Um, and many times they don't, but they just don't engage with anything else. So now, before we had no idea who these people were, uh, and now we're able to understand, hey, 35% of our members are literally just coming in and jumping on a piece of cardio equipment and leaving. Um, so they're not exposed to anything else. And frankly, that's probably not good for their body and where they want to get to anyway. So Wait, how do we... that's not good for your body? <laughs> if you just do the same thing every day now. I've, <laughs> so, I've been doing it around this whole time. So, so how do we get you kind of engaged with uh, you know, other aspects of the club? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, uh, and that was kind of surprising that it was that big. Yeah. I want to take a quick break here to tell you about Digiday Plus. Digiday Plus is our premium membership product. Join our community to get a first-hand look at how digital is transforming the world of media. You'll get the Digiday magazine exclusive research and invites to exclusive member events. It's only $395 a year. Please sign up at digiday.com. And for you, our podcast listener, we have a discount offer. To get 25% off your subscription, enter the code PODCAST at checkout. Now, back to the episode. One thing we were talking about in the town hall earlier, which I thought was interesting, is kind of, you know, this is all kind of the customer-facing part of it. But I think using artificial intelligence for, to make employees kind of do their jobs better or get them to do their mm -hmm, jobs better, mm -hmm. um, are there points at which you've sort of used this, whether it's for club managers or customer service teams or marketing teams or your team even, yeah, that, yeah. that have worked? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, look, I think we're, a, we're a premium luxury uh, service-based business, and service is super critical. And, you know, we're always trying to provide the highest level of service. So to do that, we are arming our trainer, pretty much all the staff in our clubs with as much data as possible to be able to service that customer. So there's no, one of our clubs has 6,000 members on average. There's no way that, you know, the front desk or the general manager is going to know everybody by name, right? So, um, so we've effectively built this single view of the customer uh, through our Salesforce platform where when somebody's engaging, you can pull them up really quickly and they'll get a, a snapshot of what that person's history is, one or two kind of action items that are most relevant so they're not kind of reading through reams of data or a bunch of mm -hmm. different attributes, but there's a kind of next best action that's 
surfaced automatically for uh, the person based on their role. So if it's a general manager, it'll be you know, okay. relevant to that person. If it's a personal training manager, it'll be relevant to them. But you know, taking personalization to the physical space is really important to us. And you know, I think it's a lot easier to do it digitally, but when you're trying to arm a human with the right amount of information so it feels like yeah. they know the other person, um, that's a lot tougher, and we're trying to build all the tools that we can to do that. Uh, tell me about a time something kind of failed. I mean, we were talking about that earlier too, but I think a lot of things with um, experimenting with any new technologies, being okay with this part of it didn't work, step back. That doesn't mean the technology is wrong, it means the application is wrong. Yeah, and I think some of it's also just maturity of technology. So a good example is facial recognition. Mm -hmm. So, you know, facial recognition has been around for a long time. Um, and I feel like it's maturing and ultimately it'll get there, but we attempted to do a test to try to understand who's using, who's in our physical spaces. And before we got to the beacons, uh, because the beacons still require a phone on you, how do we track what's happening within our clubs without a person having anything on them? And facial recognition is obvious, one of the obvious solutions. Um, but it just, you know, we got a lot of false positives, a lot of mismatches. Mm. And, uh, and when you try to do something like that and the accuracy is not where it needs to be and you get it wrong, that's way worse than, you know, so just the 5% that you get wrong negates the 95% that you probably got right. Yeah. And I think kind of the consistency and the accuracy almost has to be 99 or 100% for it to be, you know, because anytime you get a bad recommendation, you just you kind of disengage from that experience. And, yeah. Um, but I think there's a common back. sense, I think it's a called, somebody called it the common sense element earlier that I think a lot of people miss that everything is not going to be machines. Listen, there is going to be some level of some some person or some team of people who's kind of be like, this doesn't look right. Right. Something's right. wrong with this. Yeah. No, you're right. And I think people's tolerance and appetite to these things is kind of getting better and better. But I think you know, and I think we need to be as transparent as possible as we are recommending these things based on. X, Y, Z, right? Mm -hmm. And I think as long as you kind of give a little bit of kind of foundation of why you're recommending something, mm -hmm. um, it makes it a little bit easier when you get it wrong versus just saying, hey, we think you should definitely try this you know, yeah. class or try this program um, and we get it wrong and, uh, and there's no reasoning behind it. So, Tell me about the team that you built because you, you have a pretty big engineering team now. Yeah, um, so, so we have a mix of kind of, you know, full-time engineering team as well as kind of consulting partners and things of that nature. Um, but, uh, you know, most of our, our kind of philosophy is to build in-house around data and digital. And everything else we are buying or outsourcing, you know, because it's not creating any kind of um, competitive advantage or differentiator for us. So mm -hmm. the areas where we're, you know, building proprietary technology is all around our app, our website, our analytics, um, all the data infrastructure that I talked about that we're okay. kind of powering the in-club staff. Um, Why do it yourself, though? Because I think there, I think you know, one one thing that we've at least noticed is there are the number of kind of technologies in the market just to do with any of this has grown, and it's always harder. Internally. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So the reason we do it internally is because it's not just the technology, right? Like you have to understand the business and the institutional knowledge around that our my team has around how the business operates and what, how we're going to apply this piece of technology to our specific use case is. Super important. I mean, it's, like, the engineering is commoditized at the end of the day, and yeah, I can go outside and get an agency full of like you know ten engineers and have them build something, but. The, having people who've been at the company for a long time, how understand how our business operates, that's really the differentiator. And mm -hmm. we have a lot of tenure on our team, uh, and that's contributed to you know de developing solutions that work and make sense, and not you know getting a shiny new toy or a piece of technology and then trying to go chase a problem that doesn't exist right. and we're trying to create a problem because we're just trying to figure out how can I use AI or how can I use any of this stuff. Um, so starting with the problem first, obviously, is super important. Have there been times in which you've thought, okay? AI, I, I, this should AI should be used in this place, and then realize not. I don't. I don't need it here. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think in some cases, so the, I think some things need to be, uh, a human needs to be behind it. So our hotels is a good example. So, you know, we have this chatbot capability with our clubs and we're launching our hotel and a lot of hotels are using chatbots for concierge type services. Um, and not to say that we might not use it at all, but we are, you're, you're gonna be paying 800 to $1,000 a night for a hotel, at Equinox, for a room at an Equinox hotel. And if you're chatting with a computer on the other end after paying that kind of money, and that the computer doesn't know what it's saying, you're gonna, that, that's not the experience we wanna deliver, right? Okay. So we're consciously starting with using chat as a channel, but having humans powered on the back end, building a kind of a knowledge base or a database of what are the types of conversations that are, people want to have with us. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you know, uh, six months, 12 months down the road, we might be able to take, I don't know, a, su a subset of that and say, okay, for if we see the word towel or we see the word you know, um, breakfast or something like that, then we can kick it to a chatbot, but otherwise it'll be a human behind it. And I think we, you just have to be kind of aware of the situation and the, and all the kind of elements. What about sort of, you know, next 10 years? Because I think a lot of the consensus so far that seems to be building is that AI as a technology is still very much in its infancy, um, although it seems to have kind of jumped into this buzzword status. Um, what comes next, do you think, from a macro level, even beyond Equinox? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good question. Um, so it feels like, you know, a, a number of I don't want to say jobs are getting replaced, but a number of things that humans were doing before are now starting to get done by uh, computers and AI and things like that. And you know, I think an interesting quote I heard is, anything that it takes a human to do or make a decision in under one second, a computer can do today. Right? So if you're thinking about you know, the type of remedial kind of jobs that are out there where people are doing mundane tasks and it's less than a second to make a decision on something, that can be automated and that can be automated today. And I feel like that over the next five to 10 years, that less than one second will probably become less than five seconds or 10 seconds. And, mm -hmm. um, and the kind of thought process and decision making that a lot of kind of information workers are going through today are gonna to increasingly be you know, replaced by, uh, by computers and at a much higher level of consistency and accuracy. Humans make mistakes. Computers, you know, presumably, I think, in, in a lot of areas will not make those mistakes. Um, so, so I feel like it's just, you know, it's just going to get better and better. What is the worst case scenario? Kind of what I goes the, really wrong? I don't mean <laughs> well, like I'm not Elon comes Musk, up and kills so. us in our sleep. You know, yeah, it's, uh, but, I mean, there's a lot. but I mean, kind of what could, you know, because I think a lot of people are genuinely concerned that when, when AI kind of jumped the shark into becoming this like buzzword territory that people stopped giving it a chance. And I think that, that any new technology kind of requires that level of giving it a chance and giving it time to grow. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you just have to be very methodical about where you apply it and not get too aggressive or too ambitious and applying it in the wrong scenarios. Um, and, and then kind of, you know, recognizing a failure or a mistake and kind of pulling back and reassessing. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, something, if things are not going right and you continue to kind of push forward and continue to try to make it right, um, that might not, the, not, might not be the best approach, right? So failing fast, I think, is something that's a principle that's been around for a long time, and we definitely adhere to that um, whenever we're piloting or testing new technology, and I think that's gonna be super important to just be able to have the right metrics and the right KPIs around testing and what are you expecting success to look like, and if you don't see that, you know, um, reassess and, and try again. Cool. We have a few minutes for questions, if anybody has any. Yeah, hi, uh, quick question for you, you said, um, Applying AI to a problem is kind of uh, the, the key to success, knowing the problem in advance. Have you used AI to discover any, any opportunities in your, in your business that you didn't previously know? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so around uh, one area I'd say we've kind of discovered 
some things that we weren't expecting were around uh, the group fitness classes that I talked about originally, right? So we have about 2,000 classes on our class schedule, and we had not a lot of visibility and understanding around how people are using them, and we had some kind of hypotheses or assumptions around if somebody takes a certain type of class, let's say yoga, you know, they might have an affinity for Pilates, and as we looked at the data, um, we started to uncover other behaviors or other patterns, and there were other kind of characteristics about that person that contributed to why, you know, if they take a certain type of class, they might actually like other classes as well. And, you know, many times it's, you get kind of executives in a room who think they know the business or feel like they know the business because they've been there for a long time. And, you know, they're kind of making decisions from the gut, so to say. And when you look at data, um, you oftentimes kind of get a different result. And those, there are many instances like that, frankly. Uh, and I'm sure all your companies have that. But this is one where, you know, we, for many years, just thought we understood our, our customer and kind of their affinity for what they like to, how they like to engage with us. And the data told a different story. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think those examples exist, and uh, I think that's tougher. You, if you don't have kind of a, a hypothesis or something that you're trying to test, I think it's a, it's a falsehood to think that, you know, you can just buy a piece of technology and it'll start giving you a bunch of insights about your business without really kind of any, um, any way to kind of seed it. Cool. Time for one more. One up here. Two up here. Oh. Yeah, you start off your conversation talking about the retention and the attrition of um, some of your clients. Yeah. Have you used the chat bot or done any analysis around the chats to, you know, enhance that process and been able to retain more clients or, you know, avoid the attrition? Yeah, so the, so what we learned is in the, so, you know, behavior setting is super critical in the first month or six weeks, you know, are the most important uh, aspect of the subscription period. And if people stop engaging right from there, then they're going to most likely disengage for the rest of their period. Um, so we saw that when we're nudging them kind of after the first week and the second week, that helped get them back into the club um, you know, more regularly. And we, when we saw it to the tune of about 35 to 40 percent increase in engagement uh, for people who are going through that experience versus otherwise. And then we took that a little bit further and said, hey, you scheduled this class, you booked yourself for that class, and you didn't show up to the class. Then the next morning, we kind of nudged you again. And you know, it's this kind of coach that's just constantly pushing you a little bit. And a lot of things about fitness is it's all about accountability. And the reason people pay a lot of money to work with a personal trainer the, the way we think about it is obviously there's form and science and all that, but it, the other part of it is just accountability. If somebody's, if you're expected to be somewhere at a certain time and there's another human waiting for you, your probability of showing up for that is far greater than you just saying, I'm just going to wake up tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. and go run. And it's much easier to sleep in if nobody else is holding you accountable to that. So, um, so this coach is kind of taking this personal training concept and taking it a little bit further um, and really more for the masses, if you will. One more up here. Thank you. Samir, you may have actually just answered my question with that <laughs> response, but um, I was very impressed to hear about your chat bot and how like the personal fitness coach helped encourage people to be accountable um, in our industry. And I was looking over at my coworker as you were describing that, because we both were thinking the same thing, I think, as we sell real estate technology to realtors to help them run their businesses. But the success of that program is contingent on them downloading and logging into the app. So I was curious to hear about adoption rates and how you would encourage success to actually get them to engage with the bot itself. Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're fortunate that we're a membership-based business. And one thing that we learned early on is to drive app adoption, you, can, you have to kind of architect business processes that force or require that channel. So as an example, 
three years ago, we got away with membership cards. When you join, and before we used to give you a plastic card, that had your barcode on it, and you scanned in. We said, no more membership cards, you gotta use the app to check in. And we said, if you're gonna take classes, you have to book through the app to take the class, and there's no other way to get to the class. So architecting business processes that really kind of force the user through uh, the digital channel, and that's the only way you can do it, makes it, I think you're almost kind of forcing people, to, and then that gets them into the app for that one kind of functional use case, and then they're there, and you have their eyeballs, and you can get them to do, obviously, a lot of other things, but that's, that's how we found uh, you know, app adoption really kind of works. And we've, we're seeing about 70 to 80% of our members uh, using our app at least three times a week or more. You so, put content in the app too, which I think yeah, is we got a ton. Of, I mean, that's the other thing. So you know, the content is so once they're there to do something functional, then they're seeing. Oh wow, there's uh, there, we have so we have a big uh, content stream called Furthermore, Furthermore.com, where we write a lot of uh, lifestyle content around um, you know all things kind of health and wellness. So mm -hmm. that's in the app too. And people, many people on Face Valley don't know about Furthermore, but they come to the app, they try to do something, and then they see this other content that obviously. Um, you know, allows them to explore those other channels. Mm -hmm. That's good. Great. Samir, thank you so much. This cool. was fantastic. All right, thank, thank you. Thank you. All right, take care. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, and I hope you did, then please help us share it forward. How you can do that is by rating us and leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. It helps our podcast to be discovered, so I hope you'll do this for us. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you soon with another session.